Hello, everybody. I'd like to welcome you as you're uh, tuning into this. Uh, it's been a crazy week, and news has been changing by the minute over the last uh, 48, 72 hours. And so as we have a time where, where we adjust schedules and plans due to the coronavirus, uh, we had a lot of questions about what would we do with our particular church, or church service. We decided to take a stab at uh, having a few people join together and uh, still doing a little bit of music and uh, having Jeremy Hall present a message and, uh, and still remembering that God is on his throne. And though the world can go into crisis and confusion and a lot of anxiety, that we can still trust that God is there, he is our salvation, and no matter what valley we walk through, he's with us. So we hope that you enjoy uh, this time and that you uh, take the opportunity to remind yourself to look to God because he is our fortress, our rock, our deliverer.
So this is the weirdest part about all of this, is uh, preaching in front of just a handful of people. It's more like a Sunday school. It's not quite the same as having a room full. And when I talked to Pastor Jordan, he was a little bit, con he did ask me as to whether or not I could keep up with, uh, you know, the normal seriousness or the intensity that you would have if you had a room full of people. And I told him I had no idea. And I said it would be weird in any case, but regardless, um, Welcome to those who could come, to those at home. Um, you're actually watching this tomorrow for us. Um, but in lieu of what's going on in the world, we felt this was the, the best way to get a message out there that we think is important, or that I think is important, that God has laid on my heart. And uh, yeah, so before we begin, I wouldn't mind if we just said a quick word of prayer, please. Father God, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are in control over everything. We thank you that you know all things and nothing happens without you knowing or foreknowing that it was going to happen. We pray that you'll be with us as we gather this small group today and as those that are regularly here watch this at home, that you would be with us, that you'd encourage us, and I pray that the words I bring today will bring comfort and that the words I bring today would be your words and not my own. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good morning. <laughs> Felt this was fitting. <laughs> so how's everyone doing? How's our anxiety levels? How's our stress? There's a lot going on in the world of ours. There's decimated retirement portfolios. Hey, Freedom 135. <laughs> Possible massive job loss. And now this COVID-19 apocalypse. There's lots for us to think about and lots for us to be gravely concerned about. Turn with me if you want, if you can please, in your Bibles to Matthew 6, 25 to 34. I put it on the screen. Therefore I, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day its own trouble. That's from Matthew 6. So I'd like to talk today about the sovereignty of God and dealing with anxiety. 
I hope to help us bring focus and to provide us some perspective and calm. I've titled the sermon, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine. Yes, it's the title of an REM song, or as I better know it, by the great big sea. I didn't choose this title to be glib or to be cavalier about what's before us, but I chose it because it holds some truths for us as Christians and that it's easy to remember when we're going about our days. Thursday afternoon, I got a call from Pastor Dan, um, from the church here actually, asking if I could possibly uh, do the sermon this Sunday. Um, he felt it was best that he self-isolate himself because he had just returned from Israel. And uh, I lied and told him that I had a sermon prepared and would have no problems getting it done. Um, truth be known, I usually have more time to prepare, but I think we're going to be okay here. So um, I actually birthed the idea for this, for this sermon some time ago. It was actually at the end of last year. And it had to do with the world and the state of the world. And this is before, you know, coronavirus was a hashtag and COVID-19 was a fearful word on everybody's lips. Um, there were already many stresses facing us at the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. Uh, every moment the media brings us some calamity or another, the media seems to keep telling me that everyone is a victim and it's all my fault. We're being told that we're killing the planet, that there's a climate emergency, and that if we don't stop it, we're going to kill the future of our children. How dare you, we're being told. I couldn't stop thinking about our young people and how they take such matters to heart. I actually talked with them last weekend as we hosted the quiz meet here with hundreds of kids, hundreds of youth prowling around our church. And here we are a week later with only a handful, and on Sunday morning, none. But I started to consider, as I was talking to the youth and I was looking at all the things that happen in the, in the, in the world, how many apocalypses that I myself have lived through in my five decades on the planet, almost five decades on the planet, um, I, I, I have a list here that I want to go through, and I have it, it's kind of long, but I want to go through it because it's a good reminder of there's nothing new under the sun. And, and when I've talked to young people and talked to them about some of these things that we knew of when we were young, that it was concerning to us then, uh, but those things came and those things passed. And so I'm going to go through that list a little bit. In the last five decades on this planet, I've lived through... Things like this. In 1967, the Salt Lake Tribune says by 1975, there'll be a famine, and it's already too late. Everyone will disappear in a cloud of blue steam by 1989, is what we're told in an article from 1969. Now, 1989 was the year I graduated, and I'm still here. <laughs> 1970, the Boston Globe said, scientists predict a new ice age by the 21st century. In 1971, the Washington Post said, a new ice age is coming. 
1972, a letter from Brown University to the President of the United States warns of an ice age coming by 2070. In 1974, the Guardian posts, new ice age coming fast, and at that same year, Time Magazine reported, telltale signs are everywhere, from the unexpected persistence and thickness of pack ice in the waters around Iceland, to the southward migration of a warmth-loving creature like the armadillo from the Midwest. In 1974, again, there is great peril to life as the ozone layer is found to be depleting. In 1978, New York Times says there's no end in sight to a 30-year cooling trend. In 1980, we're talking, we're told that acid rain is gonna kill all life in lakes, the Great Lakes. In 1985, again, ozone depletion worries continue. In 1988, as you see on the slide here, prepare for long, hot summers all of a sudden after all the Ice Age warnings. 1989, rising seas to obliterate nations by 2020. Well, <laughs> it's not the seas that are getting us. Y2K, remember this? Turn off your computers before, before New Year's Eve. I was actually hired by the city of Yellowknife to be on call that night because I was the guy that programmed all their water lift, uh, their water supply stations and all their lift stations to make sure that everything still continued. And I remember getting a call from a fellow who worked for the city at about 10 o'clock at night our time and he said, are we sure we're ready? Is everything gonna be okay? And I said, yes sir, I believe we're gonna be fine. It's already tomorrow in Australia. It was true. 2000, I've got articles that say, I don't have them all behind me, but 2000, snowfalls will be the things of the past. Kids won't know what snow is. In 2001, anthrax was in the news. 9-11, Osama bin Laden. In 2002, we had the West Nile, world famine predicted in 10 years. 2003, we had SARS. 2005, bird flu. 2006, E. coli outbreak. 2008, economic downturn, turn, downturn, sorry, new words. 2009, swine flu. 2010, the BP oil spill off the Gulf of Mexico. Who forgot about that one, right? I remember reading crazy articles about Bible prophecy and a mountain burning in the ocean and that was somehow signifying the end. And I should stop here a moment just to talk about Bible prophecy and the end of world comments that I've been hearing about this COVID-19 that we're looking at these days. As many of you know, I'm a student of Bible prophecy, especially with great interest in eschatology, which is the big fancy word for the study of end times. Um, but I want everyone to hear this and to hear this well, that careless speculation and reckless claims about God's judgment and the end of days is not helpful right now. In a time such as now, we do not need to look like kooks. We need to look like people that have it together. Christians should be very cautious and very slow to interpret what is and what is not God's judgment. For if it were not by the grace of God, we would all perish. And I can tell you by studying eschatology that I know this isn't it because it's supposed to be much, much worse than this. It may be a foreshadow, but this is not it. 
I saw an article that mentioned the toilet paper crisis and how that relates to Bible prophecy. Friends, that's scatology, not eschatology. <laughs> Pestilence, yes, Bible prophecy talks about it, but it's foreshadowing. I think this is just a little wake-up call for us, the church, to remember what our purpose is. In 2012, the Mayan calendar ended. Remember that? We were all supposed to die because the Mayans didn't have enough stone to continue their calendar. In 2013, we were told that North Korea was going to kill us all. In 2014, there was Ebola crisis in the world. In 2015, there was a measles outbreak, measles outbreak in Disneyland. Do you remember that? There was ISIS was in the news almost every day in 2015. In 2016, we had the Zika virus. In 2017, on a personal note, I had cancer. In 2019, we had an environmental crisis, and the list goes on. We find ourselves here in March 2020 with all kinds of stuff already. We've seen trouble with Iran, stock market crashes, job loss, and COVID-19, the coronavirus. And in the midst of this, and for no sane reason at all, the great toilet paper crisis of 2020. <laughs> Desperate times. <laughs> All joking aside, I went through this list to remind us that there's always something. That if you remember the song by Billy Joel, and I think it was very close to 1989, the song, we didn't start the fire. Remember that? It's, it was always burning since the world's been turning. We will always face crisis. There will always be something looming over the next horizon, which is why our comfort and strength does not rest with mankind, with the government, with the WHO, or even with our own abilities. Our trust, our peace, our purpose, and our calm all rest in Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the song says. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that is so true, and we would be wise to remember this. A.W. Tozer said, a frightened world needs a fearless church. Humans need four basic things to survive. We need water food, light, and air. And Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And the Bible declares that through him is the breath of life. What we need to remember in all of this is God. God is sovereign. He is not surprised by any of this. COVID-19 didn't shock him. He knew of its coming. Just like God knew that I was going to get cancer, just like God knew that we would spend January in the hospital with our daughter because she had meningitis. God is sovereign over all. Even when life gets crazy, even when life gets scary, and he ordains everything for our good and for his glory. Romans 8.28 says... And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, 
for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if I'll get COVID-19 or not. I do know that if the numbers are correct, statistically, many of us here or those at home will get it. Some of us who attend here at Arendale might actually die from it. But we are not to fear, and here's why. From our passage that I read earlier from Matthew 6, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? When Christians are worried, as we become stressed, we have something that is worth more than any kind of vaccine. We have the ability to kneel and to pray. We have the ability to talk with our Creator. This is what Corey Ten Boom said about prayer. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. If you remember, Corey Ten Boom and her family were responsible for saving and hiding over 800 Jews from the Nazis. Their family was later arrested. God knows everything, and our God has everything under control. The Bible continually echoes these truths. Come now, you who say, this is James 4, 13 and 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to, into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We look at Christ, even Christ himself, submitting to the will of the Father. Acts 2.23, Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God, who you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Isaiah 53.10 reminds us that it was the will of God to crush him. I remember a story when I used to live up in Yellowknife and I did a lot of traveling, a lot of travel by air. My son Josh, he was, oh man, five years old, six years, not very old at all. Maybe four or five years old, somewhere in there. But I traveled a lot by aircrafts. I was flying probably at least once a week, sometimes two times a week. And for some reason, I don't know why, this little guy, between three and six, five probably, but he, he was worried. And I don't know if he saw something on the news about airplanes crashing, or I don't know if he watched a movie. I don't know what the deal was, but this little guy came to me and he was worried. Tears in his eyes, and he was like, Dad, I don't want you to fly, or Daddy, right, at that age. And I took him aside and I said to him, I said to him, did you, do you believe that God is everywhere? And he said, yes. And I said, do you believe that God controls everything? And he said, yes. And I said, do you think that daddy can hide from God? And he said, no. And I said, so whether or not dad gets on that plane tomorrow, if it's my day to go and visit God, God's going to find me. And it's going to be my day. And I said, do you understand? And he said, yes, I do. And he was okay with that. 
And I'm telling us that because it came vividly to my mind this past couple of weeks here of how Josh resting on the doctrine of sovereignty of God suddenly felt a release and a relief of his anxiety and his concern for me that something would happen to me if I got on that plane the next day. Like that little man relied on the doctrine of sovereignty, so can we. The reality is that if God has ordained that you were to get coronavirus, you're going to get it. Does that mean that we cavalierly throw caution to the wind and start, you know, sneezing in people's faces or licking door handles? No, absolutely not. We are still to be cautious, not to be foolish. But we need to remember that whatever God has ordained, it is always, always good, even if it turns out to be coronavirus. Rely on the doctrine of sovereignty and understand that if God wants you to be sick, you're supposed to be sick. He's ordained it for you, and it's for your good, and it's for his glory, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. I came across a letter this week. It was a letter written by Martin Luther, and he wrote it <clears throat> to a fellow named Reverend Dr. John Hess, and it was in regards to the Black Plague. The title of the letter was, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And this is what Martin Luther said. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us, and then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, Administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Martin Luther. So even if we're not afraid of contracting the virus, and honestly, I have to tell you, this past week, I have more concern over the social and economic impact of this than I am about actually being sick. But there's no question that this virus, no matter how serious we think it is or don't think it is, this has changed our lives. This has been unprecedented impact on the planet that I don't think we've seen since concerns like the world wars, as far as all the world being concerned about one thing. I have to forever remind myself every day that what God ordains is always good. We may, not under, we may not understand that now. And we might not understand it until we're in glory, when we're in his presence. But his ways are above my ways and our ways. And our faith, our trust in God knows what's best, no matter what our feelings might be. Stock market crashes, storms, cancer, toilet paper shortages, whatever it is, 
God's hand is all over it, never causing evil, never causing us to sin, but ordaining everything in his grand plan. This always leads us to question, why? Why does this happen? A pastor I once knew up in Yellowknife, his name is Russ Mueller, he once confronted me with the question of why when I was asking why questions during a period of trial in my life. And he had me consider that the better question was perhaps what? The why might be veiled for now, and perhaps the purposes will only be revealed when we're in glory. But a better question perhaps to ask is what? What is it, Lord? What is it that I'm to do? What are you trying to teach me? Regardless of our feelings about the statistics and how accurate they are, regardless if you're worried about losing your house or losing your job, whatever you fear, the real terror is this. The real travesty is for those who die without Christ. As of this morning, just over 5,600 people have died because of the coronavirus, the COVID-19. That's worldwide. Statistically speaking, many of them have died probably without knowing Christ. They have no more runny noses. They have no more shortness of breath. They have eternal torment and sulfur and burning in the lake of fire. That should scare us to death. This should horrify us beyond comprehension. The odds, from the, corona, the odds of us dying from the coronavirus is somewhere between one and 3%, depending on what news article you're reading. But the odds of facing Christ on judgment day is 100%. Do you know Christ? If you don't, we need to talk. If you are not thoroughly convinced that if you died today, you'd be in heaven, then we need to have a talk after this service. And if people at home phone me. Christians, for those who are saved, listen. We should be using this time to bring comfort to the world. People are afraid. Our kids are afraid. I think especially of our kids. When little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to share calm, not take part in a chaos. And now look at the grown-ups out there, fighting over toilet paper without considering those the most vulnerable or those the most at risk. On Thursday, I went to the grocery store after a meeting I was at. I was picking up a few things. I think it was like shampoo and something else, just something I needed for the house. But out of curiosity, I thought, I'm going to walk down the toilet paper aisle. And I came across an empty toilet paper aisle with save maybe a couple of those little, you know, I don't know if they're six packs or what they are, um, but there's only a few of them. And there was an elderly man in gray hairs, and if I was to guess, I would say late 80s, possibly 90s. And he had this little list in his hand and his shopping cart was full of little odds and ends and there he was standing there looking at this empty row of toilet paper save only a couple and I remember the look in his face being almost if, if you could 
put a sigh on your face without actually sighing. That's what was on his face. And he grabbed the toilet paper and he put it into his cart and there was, no, there was still some left behind and he tootled along with his six rolls of toilet paper. And I thought to myself, I had compassion, I was filled with sadness, I had a smile on my face. If I would have had a truckload of toilet paper, I would have given it to that man. But what about his soul? Was he saved? Does he know Christ? This is a more important question. And I didn't talk to him. Why? How can my heart be so moved in one moment and so completely cold at crass in the other? I saw this picture online. It kind of puts the picture what I was talking about yesterday. Does this picture invoke emotion in you? Anger, perhaps? Compassion? Do you want to help? What is it that we should be doing to bring God glory in all of this? According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Are we bringing God glory? We are called to witness, to preach the gospel. Our purpose is to bring calm into chaos, to share the gospel of peace in troubled times, not with reckless abandon, but with love. You don't need to touch someone to bring them the gospel. Our feet bring the gospel and our words bring the gospel. The time for waiting is over. The time to wait for people to ask us is over. It is time for us to stand up and be accounted for, to storm hell's rusted gates and to make a difference and make a stand and tell our friends and our neighbors about Christ. No more sitting down. Things just got serious. The world needs us more than ever. Are we up to the task? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries, we were reminded earlier. Be careful, be diligent, be caring in all things and in all things. Trust Christ. He is trustworthy and he's in total control of everything. And through it all, remember, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Thanks.
Thank you uh, for joining us if you're watching online uh, or for those of you who are here. And we're going to close with some words from Matthew 28, uh, well-known words that I think go really well with the, the time to the sermon, really well. And it's, it's this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always the very end of the age. 
Lord, be with us as we go about our days and help us to bring encouragement uh, to those who are lost, those who are struggling during this time. And Lord, encourage us with strength to preach boldly uh, to our neighbors, to those we meet on the street that need you, that need to know about you, not just be, be met by, by physical needs, but be met by spiritual needs. Uh, bring that to us. Give us the courage and the boldness to ask those questions. Do you know Jesus? Uh, Lord, if, if we don't know you fully, if we have not given our lives to you, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit will, will not let us leave our seats before we make a phone call, before we talk to someone we know that, that knows you, and before we say, hey, I, I'm scared, I need help. Uh, Lord God, bring the help that we need. Give us wisdom, give us strength, and bless us as we go about this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. <laughs> You're not dismissed. <laughs>